Hey, welcome back to another episode of Conversing Labs Cafe. We're coming to you today from the Black Hat briefings in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's Thursday, the second day of Black Hat. And I am joined in the Conversing Labs studio by the amazing Daniel Woods. Yeah, lovely to be here. Daniel, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I have kind of two hats. One is at the University of Edinburgh, where I'm a lecturer in cybersecurity. That's a British version of assistant professor. And the other is a researcher at Coalition, who are a leading cyber insurance and security service provider. And you gave an amazing talk today at the show called Lemons and Liability, where you're talking about just what it sounds like, the application of product liability thinking, like lemon laws, yeah. to software and applications. Really fascinating concept. Could you tell us just a little bit about kind of the history of that? Yeah, I think the core insight or driver of the talk is that software security displays aspects of a lemon market. And the core problem is buyers of software struggle to differentiate between secure and insecure software. And that essentially creates the wrong incentives, because if you're a software vendor and you face the choice between investing in costly security measures and just skimping on them, then the market won't actually reward the costly measures because the buyer the can't extra identify. Investment. Yeah. yeah, the buyer can't identify secure software. So right. that creates a lemons market where the market is flooded with lower quality products. Kind of first one to market wins. And you did some uh, research around this. Talk a little bit about what you did. So the lemons market uh, is a famous, there's a famous economic paper with the same title that goes back to the 1970s. George Eckler, if you want a Nobel Prize. And what he describes is the policy responses to your lemons market. One is reputation. So a, a producer gets a reputation high quality goods. Another is warranties. That's what I looked at. Liability, transparency, so they're all there. But specifically what I looked into is there's been this emerging process within the InfoSec space where vendors attach warranties to their products. Yes. They say, if our product fails to stop a breach, we will pay you up to however many million dollars of breach-related costs. We've seen that. Some of the vendors out here on yep. this floor have offers like that. Do they work? Yeah, so it's a good question. So I think it depends what you mean by work. So I would say they seem to have some signaling value. So in the study, we collect some information on customer satisfaction with different products. We look at the endpoint protection space where 25% of the products are sold with an associated warranty. And we find that those products have higher customer satisfaction. Potentially, it seems warranties might be signaling some quality of the product. But in terms of the second question, which is, do they transfer risk to the client, transfer risk from the client, actually? I don't think it's the case, depending on who you speak to. Some of the warranty providers in this hall, in this conference hall, will proudly claim their warranty has never paid out. They think this is a sign that it's working. But of course, there have been many breaches of organizations who deploy their product. It's just that the terms and conditions are drafted in such a narrow way that it doesn't actually transfer risk from the client to the vendor. So in the physical world, with physical products, liability is a little bit easier to establish. You think about maybe Takata airbags or something like that. It's supposed to deploy, it doesn't deploy. Like really clear. Yeah. With software, and particularly cybersecurity attacks, it's a much 
fuzzier question as to what was the weak link that led to the compromise, the theft of data, what have you, deployment of the malware. How do these questions generally get resolved? And for a company might be looking to license software where there's some kind of warranty attached, are there sort of red flags in the language or the structure of that warranty that they should be on the lookout for? It's a difficult question to answer because they're emerging very slowly. So yeah. one thing in the talk is the first warranty was announced at Black Hat 2014. That was associated with an application security testing firm, White Hat Security. Mm -hmm. And then over time, more and more vendors have offered warranties, but we don't actually have particularly good information on what happens if you've deployed an endpoint protection product with a warranty attached, right. and you've also had a security audit from this firm, how those warranties interact. Right. We don't really know how that works. So the other piece of this is a lemon law piece, which is a regulation, a public policy response, which really puts the onus on manufacturers to not design and sell bulky products that don't work. Where are we with that? Is that something that we might see? Yeah. So like the core problem here is there's probably 15 to 20 out of plus 25 vendors offering warranties. And they voluntarily come forward and offer them in the infosec space. But of course, there's thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of software vendors. And many of the most important vendors don't have any liability. For instance, one of the questions in my talk was what about breaches like the move it vulnerability? Yep. And I think this is a core problem that often the solution would be for a provider of, say, a VPN service to really build security in. And it's hard for an InfoSec vendor to bolt on security. But the incentives just aren't there. And that's where the kind of liability regime comes in. Because then the government says, hey, if you're selling mission critical software and you're not taking the security measures, then you should be made liable. So there's no voluntary aspect. Right. So in addition to being a professor, as you said, you work for Coalition, which is an insurance yeah. company. Obviously, cyber insurance is another market-based response yeah. to this problem. What are insurers like Coalition doing around this question of software liability? Yeah, so one, I think, point is information. So we said before, it's hard for buyers to identify secure software. One thing that Coalition can do is we observe the technology policyholders have and the negative consequences in terms of breaches, the size mm -hmm. of the incident, and what we've actually been able to do in our 2023 claims report is show that organizations with certain software, so for instance, Fortinet, internet-facing devices, are associated with a three times likelihood of a claim, which is huge. And I think part of what we're trying to do is communicate that to policyholders and help shed some transparency in the right. ecosystem. Right. So one of the things that's happening in cyber insurance, as I understand it, is insurers are getting a lot more restrictive, setting the bar a lot higher for their clients. As these companies go out and look for cyber insurance, what are the types of things that they're going to be asked to do? Is that bar really going up? Yeah, so I would say, so the market took a shift after the ransomware epidemic, and now most insurers, it changes over time as the market kind of ebbs and flows, are asking for multi-factor authentication, um, endpoint detection and response, kind of core basic cyber hygiene. I would say the difficult thing is different insurers will ask for that in different ways. Some insurers will ask for a checkbox, do you have MFA? Which nowadays is basically a meaningless question. Like every vast majority of organizations have some form of MFA, and really the difficult parts are how it's configured and managed. 
So I think you just have to go through a broker who knows the market. Mm -hmm. But in particular, if you want the kind of support of the insurer, try to ask and request an insurer with, who's interested in active insurance, improving your security posture, mm -hmm. and you will have a partner in there. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you one of the big, so obviously one of the big trends is not just that folks are licensing applications, software applications, but of course the Internet of Things, right? So software is running on all of the physical stuff in our homes and businesses and so on. And one of the problems that's come up is basically the same informational problem. You know, if you have two webcams, one for 20 and dollars where they've made no investment in cybersecurity, one for $25 where they have, the purchaser yeah. has no Amazon way of knowing that. by price, you by see price. the $20 one. Why would I pay it. an extra $5? I'll buy this one. Because they don't use any encryption yeah. or something like that. So what do we do about the Internet of Things problem and how do we get this type of thinking into connected devices? There's interesting, I think before this, you had some of the folks from Ciceron. Yes. So there's interesting transparency regimes, so like IoT product labeling, yes. creating mandatory guidelines for those manufacturers, so no hard-coded passwords. And I think that's the push. Yeah. And do you think that will have a beneficial effect down the road? It seems so, based on the theory. It's always hard to, yeah. to see in practice. On the issue of kind of software supply chain, and we've just seen so many stories, 3CX, SolarWinds, you name it, yeah. often these results, these are damages to downstream customers who have licensed the software. Often the attack comes in the form of a signed software update. What should companies that are doing software development know or understand about this liability question and how might it influence the work that they do in terms of secure development, secure by design, secure yeah. deployment? So I think right now it's a negative side of how we've set things up. Potentially they don't really need to know anything because they're not liable. Right. I think the really where we are now. Where we are right now. Yeah. I think the interesting thing in the 2023 National Cybersecurity Strategy is the Biden administration, they're talking about shifting liability onto those actors. Yes. And in particular, when they fail to take reasonable precautions. And I think this is gonna be, you know, a community-driven project where different people help to define what reasonable is. Because as you said, there's a range of different measures that could be required of these vendors. But the general structure is, if they do certain procedures, then they will be immune from liability. Safe harbor, is it? Exactly, yes. it's called a safe harbor. Yes. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, so Daniel, for our viewers, where can they find more about you online and the work that you do? And maybe give them some tips on if they're out there shopping for software, concerned about buying some lemon software, which there's a lot of it, what they can do to help inform themselves. Yeah, so for following me, I've migrated away from Twitter or now X, X. just as it descends into chaos. You're not alone. Yeah, but I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I share my university research, my coalition research there. So that's a good place to follow me. Yeah, and then in terms of software, so to give like specific advice relevant to coalition, yeah. your insurer is ultimately a partner. We're one of the few kind of- On your side. Vendors who are on your side. Because yeah. if we face a claim, if you have a loss, we pay some of the claim. Yeah. Um, well, we pay all of the claim and some of the loss. And yeah, so we're on your side, we're collecting data and we want to share that with you through notifications, through these statistics like certain technology being associated with breaches. So I would say look to your insurer, 
um, because they're kind of more mature insurers are collecting this data and they're yeah. in a really good place to make recommendations. Yeah. Daniel Woods of Coalition, University of Edinburgh, thank you yeah. so much for coming on and speaking to us on Conversing yeah. Labs podcast. We'll have to do it again. No, it was great. It was a joy to speak. Thank great. you very much.